Well, good morning. I'm going to invite you in a few moments to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5 today. And as we're turning there today, I want to just alert you ahead of time. We're not going to be projecting those verses of Scripture. It's a very long passage, but I want to invite you today to do this. I want to invite you to imagine this scene that's going to unfold before us in a few moments. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Who am I in this passage? Who am I in this passage? You see, it was not what they had bargained for. The disciples thought the plan was to get away on a retreat, to get out on the lake with Jesus, the lake that was their familiar ground. But instead, the disciples found themselves in the midst of the storm. You may remember that part of the story where they're in the midst of the storm and it seems like things are out of control. And and then Jesus calms the storm and it strikes fear in the heart of these disciples. And it raises a question for them as they're now staring at this Jesus in the middle of the lake that was supposed to be a retreat. And now this storm has come upon them and has been calmed by his word. And they ask this question, a question you would ask too. Who is this? Who is this? I mean, he even stills the wind and he stills the waves. I mean, who is this? He was more than what they bargained for. And that's the question for you and me today. Is Jesus more than what you have bargained for? And that's the question that this, there's no other way to say it, that this bizarre gospel story asks of me. But in it, I I think we also find a sacred invitation from Jesus for us to embrace him and his kingdom without hesitation and on his terms. So go with me to the northeast coast of the lake called Galilee. The comfort zone of the disciples is about to be disrupted even further. They're on the other side of the tracks in many respects, so to speak. It's an area where some of them probably never have gone before or would never dream of going before because they're going into enemy territory. They're going to a place where they're not welcome and they would probably not welcome the people they're about to meet. So go with me to the northeast coast of the lake called Galilee. This is the word of the Lord today, Matthew, Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Can you hear his shriek? For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
there's a large herd of pigs that was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And Jesus gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home. Go home to your own people and and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has shown mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the ten cities around that region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The boat ride was not their idea. They could blame Jesus for that. We read in Mark 4, 35, these words, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. And so they went along for the ride. They were just along for the ride. But when they arrive, they're confronted with another wild storm. Having come through one storm, they are now confronted with another wild storm. This time it was the raging storm of a broken and disordered life of a demon-possessed man. And the disciples do not get what they bargained for. The disciples thought the retreat with Jesus was the plan, but instead they find themselves in forbidden ground. According to the Jewish tradition, there were a number of things that are very clear for them as they arrive on that northeast coast of Galilee. First of all, they come to this Gentile-controlled area. This was enemy territory. This was a group of people, as they looked at them as those disciples arrived, they knew that these people were despised people. They despised them for the religion. They despised them as a a lesser race. They despised them as thinking they were unclean and they they were Gentiles. They were like in cohorts with the Romans in their mind. So they're in Gentile controlled area. They find themselves on the outskirts of a cemetery, of a graveyard, cemeteries and tombs. And it was expressly against their religion to touch the dead. But suddenly this man who has been living in the tombs, he's been living with the dead, comes running at them for all all intents and purposes to them. This man was dead. He couldn't be near them. Unclean. And then there's the pigs. What we call the other white meat was considered way out of bounds for them. They were representative of all things unclean. And all this matters why? Because their every instinct was to run the other way. Their every instinct was to turn on their heels, jump back in that boat, and get out of there. But 
When Jesus got out of the boat, uh, this man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him, verse 2 tells us. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He ran right at Jesus. For these disciples, tradition says run away, especially for a rabbi like Jesus, run away. But Jesus does not. He does not dismiss this man as unclean. In fact, in in all of the man's physical pain, mental distress, and spiritual bondage, Jesus sees a human to be touched, not an animal to be tamed with chains. Jesus intentionally encounters a man like this, a man without God, a people all around him that from the history were viewed as without God. He goes and takes the initiative in many ways. We call that, we have a word for that. It's a theological term. It's called provenient grace. The God who goes before, the God who goes before us. Isaiah 65.1 describes it for us, describes what's happening with Jesus here. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. And Jesus, as this man is running towards him in front of these disciples, is basically saying, here am I. And so Jesus takes the first step toward the unacceptable and the unclean. And what we see is this. Jesus crosses whatever boundary necessary to bring grace. Jesus will cross whatever boundary necessary to bring his grace. So what does that say to me today? What am I being invited to here today? Who is Jesus calling me to step toward with God's grace? What boundary is Jesus calling me to cross? And do I also see that Jesus is taking the first step toward me? What boundary in my life does Jesus need to cross to get to me? I mean, there's so much here that is hard to imagine and difficult to figure out. It's a very complex passage. But just imagine being one of the disciples. I imagine they would never look at a herd of pigs the same way ever again. And I imagine they would never look at a person with such brokenness the same way again. You see, they got more than they bargained for. And so do we. Well, then there's this man, this man, and if you look closely, I think you would see stamped on his head, hopeless. Because he was totally shackled in the darkness of evil. Eugene Lowry imagines this man's response to Jesus' question, what is your name? He imagines his response this way. I feel like 6,000 soldiers inside me. I'm pulled one way, then another. There's an army inside me, and I think I'm losing the war. There's an army inside me, and I think I'm losing the war. When we look at this man, we place a 21st century filter over this passage and we are quick to assign a diagnosis from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM. We're quick to do that. Maybe we're quick to do that. So we will just kind of not look 
at the evil in our world, the reality of it. So maybe we need to not so quickly assign some kind of diagnosis to him. You see, because whenever we see humanity defaced, whenever we see people treated as less than, whenever we see life destroyed, we see a glimpse of this man's storm. Have we not witnessed in our world and our lives the storms that evil and sin create? Isn't that what makes us so uncomfortable about many of the issues of our day? Many of the issues that we face in our lives, in our day, in our world? Don't we see before us and in us the capacity for such evil? It's easy to look out of the world and go, look how evil it is. But maybe we need to turn the finger towards ourselves and say, look what capacity I have. Back to the man and Jesus. Jesus does what no one, including the man, imagines. What no one could do. They even say, we see it in the text, it says no one could help this man. Jesus frees him, but he frees him to be truly human. You know, at the end of the passage where he sends the man back to his home, we often say he's going back to be an evangelist. I'm not so sure that's what's going on here. I think he's just sending him home to be restored to his family. To be able to go back home and to be whole again as a person in his relationships. Jesus is always seeking to bring wholeness to humanity. It is the nature of his kingdom call. It is his desire. We see it even in Luke chapter 4 in the calling of Jesus himself when Jesus affirms, the spirit of the Lord has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, free to be human. But I wonder, can we recognize ourselves in this man? Uh, we, we maybe don't want to do that, but can we? Can we recognize ourselves in the pull and the push of temptation and sin? Can we spot the civil war within us, fighting between God's rule and power and our own rule and power, fighting between God's control and our control? Can we see that going on? Can we also be honest about our own powerlessness, our true need for someone outside of ourselves to make us whole, that, that, that maybe we're not so completely self-actuated and actualized, that we need someone from outside of ourselves to come with grace and mercy. I think Dan Boone captures this so well when he writes, sin has scarred me. It's bent me inward. It's broken me. My only hope of loving as God loves is a deep transformation that includes forgiveness and formation and cleansing and restoration and re-imaging and, dis and discipline. We believe all humans are in this boat, whether they recognize it or not. See, I'm sure that this man felt he was too far gone he couldn't even really name his name. As Jesus reached out to him as a person, he could only name his condition. His condition became his identity. His brokenness became his identity. 
I'm sure this man felt he was too far gone. Clearly, the people in the town did. And there is no doubt that the disciples thought so as well. But, verse 15 tells us that when the people of the town came to Jesus, when they came hearing about this event, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Perhaps we may feel like this man, that the sin that we've committed is not forgivable, that the habit that shackles us is not breakable, that the fear and anxiety that paralyze us are just not deliverable. Maybe we feel the storms in our life are not calmable. Or maybe we look at the world itself and we say the world is too far gone and lost in the systems and the structures that promote evil. It's too far gone. The world is not redeemable. We may not say that, but we look out and we say there's no hope the world is not redeemable. But I want us to remember something this morning. I want us to remember something about this one who has gotten out of the boat, who is staring down evil. This is the one who stilled the storm on the sea and now stills the storm in this person. This is that one. Stephanie Durness Labdell wrote this morning in our devotional that we're going through together, Sacred Invitations. The focus is on God and God's power to deliver. God alone can rescue from both the hands of the enemy and the inner turmoil and terror that consume us from the inside out. I think the voice paraphrase of Psalm 34.4 would be this man's testimony. I think he would go home and he would say, When I needed the Lord, I looked for him. I called out to him and he heard me and responded. He came and rescued me from everything that made me so afraid. You see, this man got more than he bargained for. What about you? What about me? Can you see, can I see the storm calming Jesus, touching the waves and the wind of our world, of our lives, of the storms in our lives and the storms in our world? Can can I believe that there are words for us from Scripture, that there's a truth for us of what God wants to do in our lives and what he wants to do in the world and that he is still doing this in our world? These words from, from Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, and this is from God. Can I believe that God is making new creation out of me and through me? Can I believe that God will give me more than I bargained for? and a transformed life, and give the world more than it bargained for through my life, through your life. But is this passage about pigs and demons? I don't think so. I think it's about something perhaps closer to home, and especially during the season of Lent of self-reflection, and imagining what God might want to say to us I think we find something closer to home and we find it in the response of the locals in this passage. Verse 17 says, Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And the text suggests to us that Jesus does exactly what they ask of him. Verse 18 says, Jesus was getting into the boat. He he said, okay, you want me to leave? He, He does that. He gets in the boat to go. 
Now, I can get caught up in trying to answer the questions that I don't have clear answers to. I, I can imagine why the pigs. Why, did, why were the pigs involved? I can try to imagine what inspired Jesus to go ahead on this little boat trip and take the disciples across to the forbidden other side. I can imagine that, but that's not the question that comes to the forefront of my mind. The question this passage brings to the forefront of my mind is this. Why did they want Jesus to go away? Why? Why did they want him to go away? Why did they not embrace Jesus? He has just delivered this, this worst of the people in their community. Why did they not embrace Jesus and ask him to heal their sick and comfort their grieving and touch their lives? Why did they think Jesus was more dangerous than a, a raving, demon-possessed madman? Why did they think he was more dangerous? Well, you know, the demon-possessed man was a nightmare to the people, but he was their nightmare. And, and they figured out how to manage the issue without dealing with the issue. They figured out how to control things. They had all the control. But when Jesus shows up, all of that changes. And their response to that, verse 15, when they, when they saw the man, he's sitting there, he's dressed and in his right mind, three words. And they were afraid. Why were they afraid? I, I wonder, why were they afraid of Jesus? Were they afraid because Jesus upset their economic bottom line? I mean, 2,000 bigs going down, into that's a lot of money. Were they upset because Jesus disturbed the, the financial status quo? Because he disturbed the flow of business? Was it because the control that they had was now challenged? Was it, was it now because they, they were afraid because they had to pay attention and maybe they realized that they needed to change as well? I wonder, could it be that people can tolerate religion as long as it does not affect their status quo? It does not challenge their allegiances as long as it makes them comfortable. Let me say that again. Could it be that I can tolerate God as long as he does not affect my status quo? As long as he does not challenge my allegiances? As long as he just makes me comfortable? Jesus was more than what they bargained for. They just wish he would quietly go away so that they can live their lives on their terms. And I wonder if God is speaking to me about that today. They just wanted him to go away. But this Jesus, well, you see, he changes everything. Are you ready to be changed? Am I ready to be changed? Or will we ask him to go on his way? 
We might even say we want to change, or we might say we want God, or we might say we actually really want to reach our world. We, we might say we want the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven, but do we? We want Jesus to live with us. Come, Jesus, live with us. But then we say, Jesus, please live with us, but don't rearrange the furniture. Don't, don't mess it up. What furniture in my life needs to be rearranged? What expectations do I have in my life that I need to wrap around his expectations? Or am I too busy trying to wrap God and build God and shape God around my expectations? Is that what Jesus is saying to me? You see, as with these people, sometimes we become so accustomed to our dysfunction or our sinful habits or our comforts in this life. We become so comfortable and accustomed and desirous of life on our terms that it strikes fear in us to imagine something different. And maybe we feel that if God causes me to deal with the real issues of my life, it will be painful and disruptive, and it will require me to change. It'll be more than what I bargained for. But there's one more question that we have to ask, and it's this. Why did Jesus leave? Why did he leave? Well, the truth is, Jesus will never barge in. Jesus is always prepared to be with us no, no matter what by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. But he will not force his way in. If we do not want Jesus, if we do not want him to change our lives, if we do not want his involvement, he will oblige us. Because his way with us is always a way by invitation. By sacred invitation. And perhaps these words from John's Gospel on this Communion Sunday are so appropriate to help us see that invitation. We read in verse 35 of John 6, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Come to me, he says. Come to me. Follow me, he says. He invites, but he never forces you see, really what Jesus is doing is he's still answering the disciples' question. That question that was left hanging in the middle of a lake after the storm was calmed. Who is this? And here's his answer. He is the one who takes the initiative toward you and me and the world, bringing healing grace. He is the one that crosses boundaries, even the boundaries we erect to try to bring grace to our lives. He is the one who sets us free to be made whole and human. He is the one who disrupts the comfortable and comforts the trouble. He is the one who does not force his way in, but is ready to respond to our invitation for him to come in. And he is the one who gives us so much more than what we bargain for. Now it may seem like a passage like this is not the proper passage to move into the Lord's Supper with. 
But I would beg to differ. Because the scene that we leave is straight out of, like, it's a scene of the wildness of life, if you will. And contrary to our imagination of the Lord's Supper, this very quaint and serene setting, those reclining around Jesus the night before he died possessed the same potential of wildness. One of them will deny him in three days. Two of them are known for their volcanic tempers. And one of them will betray him for a good payday. And all of them would leave him in the garden alone. And yet, here is this Jesus. Giving them the gift of grace. Even crossing the boundary of their brokenness. Giving them the gift of grace, just like he did for the man on the other side. And so, yes, this table is the perfect place for us to ask ourselves the question, what will be my response to the Christ who is more than what I have bargained for? I invite you to get the elements of communion in your home prepared. For now, as the bread and cup are before us, he invites us to this covenant meal. Listen closely. He has taken the initiative. He has made his choice. His life to give us life. His life to make us whole. Forgiveness of sins and life everlasting and transformed lives and living so much more than we bargained for. Listen as the liturgy reminds us. Come to the table of Jesus our Redeemer. Jesus invites you here as part of the people of God. Come to this table humbly. Not because you have earned a place here. But because you need mercy and grace and help. Come because you love God and you want to love God more. Come because Jesus first loved us and gave himself for us. Come because he has taken a step towards you. Come because you want to experience the mystery of God's redeeming grace. Come. And remember this. That on the night before Jesus was handed over to his death, Jesus had this meal with his followers, his friends. He took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake and let us be thankful for the God who reaches us across all boundaries and gives his life for us. Let us be grateful for the life God gives to us. After supper, Jesus took the cup of wine and after giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples and he said, drink this, all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. 
May we participate in the cup with thanksgiving, remembering that forgiveness, redemption, and wholeness of life is found in Jesus Christ as we trust in him. Let us place our faith in Jesus today to make us new creations, to make us the people of God he desires us to be, and let us be thankful. As our instrumentalists come this morning, may we go into this day knowing that Jesus Christ is so much more than what we have bargained for. And let us come to him today, determined to invite him in, to allow him to be the master of our lives, the Lord of our lives. Let us invite him in to do whatever he wants with the furniture. <laughs> this last song our instrumentalists will play says to us, I will never be the same again. The glory of God fills my life and I will never be the same again. I think that man never was the same again. I think we see in history the disciples were never the same again. And I think even those people, I just believe there's some people there that were never the same again. I pray that after today, you and I will never be the same again. May we live in and with the Christ who is so much more than what we bargained for. And may we go into our world reflecting him to the glory of God. And may our world receive so much more than what they bargained for from us in the grace and the mercy and the love and the holiness that we've received from Christ. Thanks be to God.